You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hello, hello. This is Jessica O'Reilly of Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. And I am, of course, your friendly neighborhood sexologist. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And thank you to today's sponsor, Desire Resorts. I'm setting sail with Desire from Barcelona all the way to Rome on a clothing optional, highly erotic couples cruise at the end of April. Last I checked, they literally only had a handful, handful, fit in one hand, handful of cabins left. So uh, check them out and hopefully I will see you on board. Otherwise, follow them at Desire Resorts. Now, last week, I received a few questions about the topic of sex and how it intersects with depression. So I've enlisted the support of a licensed psychotherapist to help us out um, to answer some of your questions. So I'm going to read you out these questions and then welcome our guest to the program. So the first comes from Sasha on Twitter. And Sasha says, My boyfriend struggles with depression and he has finally switched to meds that don't kill his sex drive. So it's back after about a year and we're just trying to get back into sex because, but because I'm out of practice, I can't really tell if he's in the mood and I don't want to pressure him. So how do I get started? I always read that I need to be supportive to my partner who's depressed, but I'm not really sure what this means. So what I'm asking is, How can I be a more supportive girlfriend, not just when it comes to sex? So that's from Sasha. And I received another question from Christina from, oh, Canada. That's a broad place. (laughs) Christina from Canada wants to know, um, I've been diagnosed as depressed and it's taking a toll on my marriage. We just got married last summer and I have almost no interest in sex unless my partner does a lot of work to get me aroused. So is there anything I can do to increase my sex drive? So thank you to Christina and Sasha for writing in. I know it's not always easy to even put pen to paper or fingers to, uh, to keyboard because this is obviously a, a serious um, and difficult topic. So I have with me today licensed psychotherapists from Epiphany Counseling in California, Mayumi McKinley. Hi there. How are you? I am great. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for being with me. So you, you've had a chance to listen to Sasha and Christina's questions, but I, I want to ask you, you, before we get started, can you explain to listeners what depression is? Because with a lot of mental health language, it tends to get tossed around rather flippantly, right? Like we say things like, oh, I'm so depressed that I missed this <laughs> show. Or we say like, right. oh, he's a narcissist because <laughs> he's you know, taking too many selfies. But those, those aren't really the definition. So can you explain to us what depression entails? Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. A lot of individuals, when it comes to depression, we use that term loosely. And the fact of the matter is all of us have the blues. All of us get depressed from time to time for one reason or another. Um, but when we talk about depression as a mental health diagnosis, it's more so where that blues doesn't go away, where you're feeling sad, lethargic, um, uninterested, loss of motivation for a long period of time. And I usually tell individuals the telltale sign is when we get depressed because we missed our show or we got bad news at work, eventually after a day or so, you're able to 
get back to your normal level of functioning, whatever that may be, and interacting with your family or friends. Um, however, when you're depressed, it really starts to impact you, not only in your relationships, but also at work, also in social circles. So usually when you see, you start hearing your family complain about, oh, you just seem so distant, or um, you just don't seem like yourself, and you're making mistakes at work, um, the loss of concentration. When you find problems in all those areas, it's usually a telltale sign that it may be something a little bit more than just kind of um, the blues um, regarding a certain topic, so, um, or a certain situation that has happened in your life. So a lot of individuals, they find themselves um, the loss of interest in activities such as sex, such as hobbies, um, loss of energy overall, just feeling more tired, not really interested in interacting with their kids, um, feeling sad, lots of mistakes being made at work and at home. Kind of, I've heard clients describe it as a kind of brain fart, <laughs> or um, you know, just kind of <laughs> brain fart, or just kind of losing track of what they're doing. Um, find it very difficult to concentrate. Things that took them, you know, 30 minutes to do now are taking an hour and a half. And just an overall sense of irritability, you know, finding themselves less patient with their spouse, less patient with their children or loved ones. Um, changes in appetite, insomnia, sleeping too much, sleeping too little. And the list can go on and on. And I guess the main key point is when it starts to impact you in all these different aspects of your life, that's when it's uh, maybe time to seek professional um, assistance from your primary care doctor or even a psychotherapist. Okay. And so in your practice... You mentioned a number mm -hmm. of areas, but how do you see depression affecting relationships most intensely? Like what's the top sign or couple of signs that, mm -hmm. um, or not signs, sorry, but the way depression interferes with relationships? Oh, absolutely. Definitely as your two to two individuals who wrote to you stated, it does increase or rather decrease the sex drive and the intimacy within a relationship. So um, ultimately, if you don't feel good and depression makes individuals have low self-esteem, um, that feel, you know, they feel very lethargic, things of that nature. So the interest isn't there, the, the libido isn't there. As one of your individuals mentioned, um, there are lots of antidepressants that impact the libido. So they're unable to perform sexually, um, whether it be getting an erection, um, in addition to just the overall not non-interest in being, in being intimate. Um, another aspect of relationships is uh, in working with couples, I find that um, because of the low self-esteem or the low confidence, these individuals' perception of the relationship can somewhat be skewed. Um, oh. And so, yeah, so... <laughs> So there's an increase in need for validation or they may be skewed and assuming that the person is cheating or I'm assuming that the person doesn't want to be, you know, bothered with them because they're depressed. So there's a lot of um, what we call cognitive distortions or negative thinking that becomes associated with that. <laughs> you know, because if you don't feel good about yourself, you kind of seek that validation from other people. And sometimes that causes a little ripple um, in the relationship because the partner who isn't depressed is stating, you know, I've been the same person for the past five years. What do you what do you mean? Right. Um, but the person maybe who is um, suffering with the depression or challenged with the depression, sometimes it just kind of clouds their view of the relationship and they end up seeing it through um, a negative lens. And um, one more thing would be, um, I'm thinking of the main things that stand out would be kind of the mood changes. Sometimes that can be very difficult for the relationship in terms of the increase in irritability, um, the decrease in patience. And a lot of times uh, there, it increases arguments between the between the two and the couple and okay. the relationship rather so sasha is asking you know how do i be a more supportive girlfriend 
uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to sex, but also outside the bedroom. And I, I mean, I know people read a lot of articles on how to be a supportive partner. Um, obviously, we're always saying, oh, talk to them, tell them what's going on. Keep right. communicating. But if we, if we can get a bit more specific, what would you suggest to Sasha? Yes, yes. Well, I'll start with what not to say. Because okay. I think, let me start with not to say, because I often find in relationships, um, couples that I work with or individuals who bring their partners in, is they, you know, the partner's confused. They're like, what is they, you know, we have a great house, we have a great family, they have friends, what is there to be depressed about? Or they immediately go to listing all the reasons a person should be happy. And huh. for a depressed person, that's very invalidating. <laughs> because yes. if, if I'll give an example of if I if I had an eight all day and I'm starving and I have hunger pains and pains are in my stomach, I really don't care if you're telling me that there's steak at home. <laughs> right. It doesn't take away it doesn't take away the pains that I'm having or if I feel like I'm drowning or I am drowning in a pool or something and you're like help to go on the way. It doesn't change the fact that in this moment I feel like crap. In this moment I feel worried for my safety. In this moment I feel like there's no way out. And so I would encourage people. Because, let me say this, as individuals, we want to help those we care about. So we oftentimes immediately go to, um, oh, well, what about this? You did great at this. And remember, the kids told you they loved you. And and, 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 and it comes from a healthy place of wanting to be there. However, with a depressed person, sometimes just validating, stating, I know this could be hard for you. Or I know you're going through a tough time. I, you know, I wish there was something I can do. Just allowing that person to have that moment is very, very important. So all of that to say, don't say, don't start listing all of the reasons why they shouldn't be depressed because it's not a choice that they're making. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also hear from, you know, clients who are depressed that they don't want advice, right? They don't want to hear like, mm. oh, just go for a run. Yeah. Like they've never thought of that. Um, you know, oftentimes right. they say, I mm-hmm. want you to ask what I need because what I need today isn't what I'll need tomorrow. And I often hear absolutely. complaints that a partner waits until I'm at my lowest point to ask. And once you're at that point, it can be really difficult to tell someone else, hey, this is what I need when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling unworthy, when I'm feeling helpless and hopeless. So I often suggest that they, the partner look for the moments when your partner, your depressed partner, is, is mm. having a good day. And ask them on their good day, hey, like this is going well. When you do feel down, what are some things I can do to help you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what, and, and in terms of being supportive, um, that brings me to another point in terms of um, a lot of times people don't understand what to do. Well, I want to add something to the point that you made in terms of a lot of times the depressed person doesn't know what they want. And that right. can be a little bit frustrating and leave a really helpless feeling for the person trying to help. And so a lot of times I tell them that you may not have to understand you may not understand what your partner is going through, um, but you can respect it. And so another rule of thumb would be just kind of validating the person's feelings and um, recognizing that you don't always have to go into fix-it mode. I think when we see someone stuff, we want to fix it. So that's where the go for a run, go for a jog, go for this kind yeah. of comes in. But recognizing that sometimes you are the fix and sometimes it's just you being accessible. And you being available. Um, and another point I would make before we move on is um, you might, if possible, if your partner is open to it, then getting involved in their treatment. If you can attend a session, if they're going to therapy with your partner, you get to hear from the therapist some of the things that they're working on. And these may be things that you can remind your partner of or bring up outside of session because essentially you're spending more time with your, your partner than the therapist. And so if you're involved in the treatment and the therapist can inform you of some of the things they're working on, whether it be cognitive behavioral therapy, where they're trying to change their thinking to more 
accurate, positive thoughts. Um, that's also very helpful in the, in the process. Ah, that's interesting. And would all therapists mm -hmm. be open to having a partner join? I think it's really up to the, the, the individual that's attending therapy. You have some individuals who absolutely do not want their partners involved for one reason or another. And I have individuals that are like, please, can I bring, you know, him or her in so you can kind of explain to them what's happening and let them know what I'm working on so I can have that support at home. So ultimately, it's up to, it's up to our patients or the clients um, in terms of if they're comfortable with it. And if they are, I truly encourage them and the partner to, to be a part of that process because then you can learn what they're working on in treatment. And I have, and it works great with the couples that are willing to do this because when they're at home and their partner is having that depressed moment or having a moment where they can't get out of that funk, the partner is able to say, well, remember, um, these are the things you were going over. Have you tried this? Um, or have, what are your thinking patterns right now? And they're really able to be a part of the treatment. Um, but making sure you do it in a healthy way. It's not supposed to be a reprimand or like a teacher-student relationship. But you're not even doing what the therapist is saying. You know, nothing like that. But just coming from a supportive, a supportive stance is really helpful. That's, that's really, really great. And, you know, when, when Sasha asked about support, I think it's amazing that you're looking to support your partner, but it's also mm -hmm. not your job to take care of them entirely. So sometimes it's mm -hmm. about saying, yes, I'm available. And sometimes it's also for you to take care of yourself, to admit when you're unavailable, if you're going to be busy or away or distracted, if you can let your partner know um, so they don't mm -hmm. take it personally, so they don't feel rejected and uncared for. It might be as simple as, I love you so much. This week I'm studying for a big exam, so I won't be around as much or something like that. Because mm -hmm. uh, you, you don't want to, in Sasha's case, I don't want you to feel like it's your job uh, to take care mm -hmm. of your partner. Your partner's also taking care of, in this case, himself. That's so important. I'm glad you brought that point because a lot of times in terms of conflict in relationships, there sometimes is a role reversal. Um, if the, maybe the person who's not pressed was the person who may have been a caregiver and or I've heard, I've heard many partners describe, oh, I feel like I'm taking care of a child and they take on that responsibility and feel like it's their 100% responsibility to make this person happy now recognizing that it's still a partnership and that you give as much as you can and then the other person has to kind of do do their work. So I'm glad you brought, you brought that up. Um, one thing I would add to that is I would encourage partners of the depressed individual to seek their own counseling if possible. They're finding it really hard to... Um, you know, really support that person because it can be stressful at times when a person is in that space. Make sure that they have their own support system, whether that be friends or going to counseling themselves, um, just so they can have their own emotional support for themselves as well. Yeah, that, that's a really important point. So, so if we move on mm -hmm. to Christina, who has herself mm -hmm. been diagnosed um, and is worried that, you know, she doesn't have this libido, she doesn't want sex unless her partner does a lot of work to put her in the mood. And she wants to know, like, you know, can she increase her sex drive? Um, do you have anything to say? Any thoughts on that? Um, yes, I think it's definitely possible. You have lots of individuals. One of my thought is, is for her to, my, my thought would be for her to definitely, I'm not sure if she's taking medications or not, um, but check in with her doctor if she is on antidepressants. That definitely is a side effect of some antidepressants where it lowers your libido. So it's libido just to um, rule that out. Um, and if she's not in her own treatment process to bring this up with her therapist, um, because sometimes it's some of the thoughts associated with, with having sex, you know, that 
that decreases the sex drive and, and it may be centered around that this is going to be so much work I really don't feel like it you know the you know but I guess I got to do it because the party's going to leave me and sometimes that can even more so put you out of the mood for lack, for lack of a better word. I think it's great that she's writing to try to find, you know, to try to find ways to increase that because it sounds like something she she definitely um, she definitely wants. Another suggestion that has worked for individuals and couples is what is the mood like? You know, is it after a stressful day? Are they, are they really setting a stage for some quality time to be had? Uh, you know, is it not that you schedule to have sex or anything like that, but what environment are you, um, what, what's the environment like? Is it peaceful? Are the kids running around? Um, are you all able to go away for date nights or weekends? So just making sure that you create a space where you, that person can be your, your focus as well. Yeah, and it's interesting that she says that her partner has to do a lot, and she puts this in caps, yeah. a lot of work. And you know what? What you perceive as a lot of work may not actually be that much work. Like your partner might be enjoying this and maybe you just need to be a little selfish. Right. I, I find that my clients tend to be givers and it sounds like a good thing to be a giver, but learning to be a taker is just as yeah. important because yeah, as a taker, you show appreciation, you're more present, you experience sex as opposed to just going through the emotions. And so People always say, oh, if there's one piece of sex advice you, you want to give, what would it be? And I say this year, it's about being more selfish in bed because we've shifted from a culture of sexual gratification to a culture of sexual mm -hmm. performance. And it's making sex mm -hmm. less exciting and pleasurable. So if you are depressed and you are exhausted and sleep deprived and anxious and stressed and not in the mood, like it's okay to ask your partner to put you in the mood. And you can ask them to service you. You can ask them to get a toy or hand or lube or whatever and know that you're not a burden. I, you must see this in your practice that people believe they are a burden. And you talked about cognitive distortion. So you deserve a lover who enforces the reality that you're not a burden. How do you get, that was a long, um, you know, long lead up to this question, but how do we tell how do you you know make sure your clients know that you aren't a burden you might be perceiving yourself as a burden but depression is not a burden to your partner absolutely and, and i'm so glad you stated that because i do find a lot of individuals feeling like they're a burden in general and so i would encourage her to really jot down what her thoughts are like is it i'm a burden you know, and I look because when you because when you depressed, there are a lot of negative thoughts that go along with that. And so I can 100% agree with you in terms of um, what I tell clients is to ask. All you can do is ask. A lot of people are walking around with assumptions of what we think other people think, which yeah. is a cognitive distortion of mind reading. Right? You automatically mm -hmm. know that you're too much free. And so I would encourage you. I say ask. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I know I've been in a depressive state lately, and I was wondering if you're feeling that um, I'm asking too much of you. Or I've been wondering, you're feeling like um, I'm a burden to you at this time. That way, at least you can get clarification. And the person may say, absolutely not, but then it's your job to believe it. Because a lot of times people ask, and I, in session, the partner who said, absolutely not, I love this person, I'm here for them, I actually enjoy the fact that I can give to them what they've given to me for so long. <laughs> you know, yes. that I have a chance to support, right? Yes. <laughs> that I have a chance to support them. And then I'll ask the person what they heard, and they still are stuck in this burden. <laughs> Burden state. So making sure when you ask that you feel you're open to receiving it and you take it in until you believe it. Tell yourself it till you believe it.
Great, great. And, you know, we use the, the term cognitive distortion, but I realize people may not know yeah. what we're talking about. So can you, and I, I mean, we all have cognitive distortions, but I would imagine that people who are diagnosed with depression have more cognitive distortions around negative relationships. So can you briefly explain what we mean by cognitive distortion? Absolutely. Cognitive distortion is just a fancy way of what I call thinking traps. Um, <laughs> it's just ways of thinking, right? It's ways of thinking that get us caught, but all of us do them. The difference between an individual um, with depression or anxiety and an individual who's not is that you get caught in a thinking trap. So a couple of the most common ones are mind reading, what we just mentioned in terms of you think you, you assume you know what the other person is thinking. None of us are mind readers, so there's a chance that we could be wrong. And usually when we're mind reading, we're not sitting there thinking, oh, he thinks I'm great, or she thinks yeah. I'm great, yeah. they're just in love with me. You know, we're not thinking, we're thinking like worst, <laughs> worst possible scenarios. Um, there's fortune telling, which a lot, you know, with depressed, depressed individuals can impact their relationship. You would say, oh, I'm going to get home and he or she is going to um, be upset because I'm not smiling. And you create this. I mean, you have parts one, two, and three of this movie that you've made up and it has absolutely no facts on it. So thinking sounds like these negative ways of thinking that we kind of get caught up in um, that, that ends up skewing our perception of a person or a relationship or a situation. And usually it increases our feelings of anxiety and depression. And so how do you get out of this uh, thinking trap? How, if, if you're mind reading and you're thinking, oh, I'm so much work for my partner and they're going to leave me or I'm not having sex, so they're going to cheat on me, all of which are cognitive distortions. How do you get out of mm -hmm. that trap? How do you climb out of that hole? The, my first thought would be, um, and, and there's so many factors, but to, to plain and simple in terms of let, let's assume a person has a very supportive partner is one, check the facts. Right. All of these, these, these thinking traps that you're in or these thoughts that you have, what proof do you have to substantiate that? So if I'm thinking, oh, I'm a burden to my partner. Oh, you know, they, they're not attracted to me anymore because I don't like doing my hair since I've been depressed. These are all things, did the person tell you that? Did the person tell you that you're a burden? Right. Did the person tell you they're not attracted to you? You know, usually the things that we've made up in our mind based on our own insecurities and so we we think the other person feels what we feel. I don't like my hair, so I think you don't like it, and you think I'm, I feel like I'm attractive, so I think you think I'm unattractive. And so checking the facts is um, one of the top things that you can do to bring yourself. It kind of brings you back to reality, kind of, you know, so you don't get down that rabbit hole of one negative thought leads to another leads to another. So checking the facts, I would also encourage to ask questions, don't assume. There, like I said before, nothing's wrong with saying, hey, I'm feeling... Um, I'm feeling unattractive, you know, I'm wondering, you know, and I'm thinking that you're not attracted to me, you know, what, you know, would that be true or something along those lines, but just asking so that you can get some clear clarification. Most of the time, the partner's on a totally different page. You're not even thinking half the stuff that the first individual is thinking. So that yes. would be too telltale. The other part I would add to this is it becomes a little bit more difficult and I definitely would recommend some type of couples counseling so that those things can be um, discussed and shared in a healthy environment and you know as a couple you all can learn tools on how to better communicate because sometimes communication is an issue in relaying these feelings and thoughts. Right and I think a therapist who's trained in cognitive behavioral therapy specifically around issues of depression is probably Absolutely. a good route to go. Absolutely. One more thing can I add one more before I know we're <laughs> we've been you talking sure about your client who asked through your client asked what she could 
do in terms of the, the one who was depressed herself. Uh, mindfulness is a really good practice. There are plenty of apps out there and exercises that you can do. What mindfulness is, it's being in the moment. It's the practice of being in the present. And a lot of times when it comes to relationships and sex, we're in our heads. You're so worried about what your partner thinks about how you're moving or if you look sexy this way or, you know, all of these things that it takes you out of the moment of being present and mindfulness practices are things you can do on a daily basis that focus on being in the moment, being in the present. And this is something that she can practice when she's with her partner. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is the case with her, but if she finds herself being more in her head thinking, you know, he's, he's trying to, or she's trying to be intimate and she's all in her head thinking, I don't really want to do this. Then being mindful would focus more on. So he or she is looking at me in this way. Um, I love the smell of their cologne. Just really being in the moment and her practicing that on a on a consistent basis may help in her being more present with her partner during those intimate times, even yeah. if they don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that absolutely makes sense. And, um, you know, you, nobody's ever had an orgasm from worrying about their hair. No one's ever had mm-hmm. a, their partner to <laughs> orgasm worrying about their stretch marks. Like, these are things that we, we have to, mm-hmm. and presence is probably the number one thing I'm seeing uh, across the globe. Yeah. So many technological distractions, practical distra- distractions, so much pressure. Um, so certainly there's a great app called Pacifica for mindfulness that's worth t- but there are many apps out there if you go into any app store and i actually have a course i'm developing with another sexologist dr reese malone on being more present with your partner um for intimacy mm-hmm. and sex but that leads into that mm-hmm. listen i i know we're out of time i really appreciate your time um well, Naomi McKinnon, you. where, where can people find you um definitely you can find me by going to www com, and I'll spell that. It's M-I-Y-U-M-E-M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y.com. Or you can find me on any social media. If you go to Epiphany with Mayumi, Google that, search that. I'll pop up and all of my information is there. Okay, excellent. And we'll make sure to link to your accounts as well. Sounds, sounds great. Thank you so much for being with us. No problem. Thank you for having me. You'll have a great day. Thank you. Now, before I let you go, I want to add a little additional commentary with regard to sex itself. I mean, we have these questions around sex and depression and being a supportive partner and also being a sexual partner when you're depressed. Um, My number one thought is that you need to give yourself permission to take care of yourself first. Your sex life and your partner can wait. If you don't have sex, a relationship can survive. And so I I suggest that you address the depression first with your mental health professional and then work on the sex. And if sex is going to take a backseat for you, and if you have a partner, you know, you need to communicate this to them so that they understand why perhaps you're not in the mood for sex. And it might seem really obvious to you, that, you know, with this depression, it's just getting in the way, but it may not be obvious to your partner. So you need to find a way to tell them in, in no uncertain terms that if you're not having sex, it's because you're taking care of yourself. It's not personal. It doesn't mean you're not attracted to them. It doesn't mean that sex isn't a priority or that sex won't be a priority moving forward. But right now you're working on something else, something bigger, and that's, that's dealing with your depression. And it's often, uh, I think when we think of sex, we, you know, even with young people, we use the term, the talk. And 
this isn't always a one-time conversation. Obviously with young people when you're teaching sex ed, but also with a partner, whether you're dealing with depression or any other uh, element or component in your life that might interfere with your sex life, you know, it could be having kids, for instance. Uh, it's not a one-time conversation. You do have to continue checking in so that sex or the absence thereof doesn't become the elephant in the room. So yes, give yourself permission to take care of yourself and then communicate what's happening to your partner as best you can. Now, I was also thinking about the question of, you know, does my partner want sex? What do I do to want sex? And um, I, I was thinking about cutting sex into pieces. So can you figure out what do you like about sex? What elements of sex do you like the most? Or perhaps even what elements require the least effort? And can you engage in those? So maybe you don't want the whole production of what your regular expected sex life looks like, which of course is different for every person, but maybe you just want, you know, a quick orgasm. That's fine. Um, do that. And if you have a partner, let them know. Maybe let them be a part of it. Hey, maybe make them do the work. Um, or may maybe you don't want sex, but you're, you'd still like to make out. Or maybe you don't, and of course I know everybody defines sex differently, but whatever you're into, what can you extract from your regularly scheduled sexual programming and still perhaps engage in? Because then you're not having the sex that you're used to having. It doesn't mean that you can't have some form of sex and all of the related benefits. So think about how you can cut sex into segments and just pick the segments that work for you given your current situation. And then I, I just want to reiterate one more time, please be more selfish. If you want something, ask for it. And um, had some a few other thoughts as well for the other question about being a supportive partner. I had mentioned that you, know, you need to not only let them know when you're available, but also let them know when you're not available. I think that's important. Um, I also think that I hear from clients who say they, they don't want advice. They, they'd rather you say, what do you need from me? Um, others will have told me that they want their partners to support them, express their support and love in multiple ways, not just in one way. Like saying, I love you may not cut it. Yes, use your words, but also use your actions and show them that you're there for them with physical affection, even if they're pulling away. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you grab someone when they say, don't touch me, obviously. But just because I'm being perhaps a little bit physically withdrawn doesn't mean that I don't want you to reach out to me. So ask if I would like a hug, if I'd like a hand massage, if I want to be kissed, if I want to be held. It's certainly helpful to know your partner's love language. I think you're probably all familiar with the five languages of love, which is Gary Chapman's work. But um, it's not just about one language. I mean, it doesn't hurt to be trilingual. I think it's even better if you can communicate your care and support for your partner when it comes to using, sorry, words, actions, and physical affection. And then if we go back to sex, I was also thinking that for Sasha, one thing you can do for your partner is offer reassurance. You know, you talk about... Um, your boyfriend and wanting to be a good girlfriend. And I think it would help to express your attraction and your desire to them, to him, but also to express an understanding 
that you know you get it that he's not always going to be in the mood and that's okay and when the gender roles contradict cultural convention I think it can add another layer of complexity because we have these norms of toxic masculinity that tell men that you should always want sex and so when in fact as a man you don't want sex or when in fact as a man you want to say no but feel uncomfortable saying no it can feel emasculating so Sasha I mean you can be a part of the process of making him feel like sexy and confident and desired regardless of whether or not you're having sex on any given day or week or month or however often you you have sex. So I think it's important to still express sexual desire and attraction without pressure, even if sex is off the table. And I know that it can be a fine balance to do so without pressuring your partner, but sometimes it's simple as it's as simple as asking, does this feel good for you? Right? Like do if I show you I want you in this way, does it make you feel good? Because you can still be sexually excited and again, derive the benefits of sexual excitement, even if you're not having sex. So I'd, I hope that this discussion has helped to alleviate some of the pressure around being in a sexual and intimate relationship with one or both partners experiencing depression. So thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Miomi for being here. And of course, thank you to Desire Resorts for your support of this episode. Please folks, check out at Desire Resorts. It really is a life changer. I only work with brands that I love and uh, they are one of them, a handful. So thank you again, folks, and have a fabulous day. And you'll hear from me again every Friday morning. With the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, please let your friends know about it, even though I know it's scary to share the love when it comes to sex, and follow along on all social media. I love hearing from you at Sex with Dr. Jess. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.